0: My name is Greg Schneeberger. Schneeberger, a tough last name, but it is Reformation Day, so I guess the German last name can just be dealt with. We'll be dealing with the book of Philemon this morning. So go ahead and open to Philemon if you know where it is. Uh, this has been a humbling week for me. I usually work with youth, mid school, high school students, and parents. Have the honor of teaching this Sunday, Philemon, which coincides with the book of Colossians in many ways, so it won't be a great departure for us. But in, in honor of my youth who are now in class this morning, I'd like to have a little test. That's all right. What is Philemon about, church? I wonder if I went around and asked us all to give a one sentence answer. You may be like me in the first service and make the mistake of saying it's in the Old Testament. Which it is not. It's in the New Testament. It's written by Paul. It's a letter. Short letter. It's right after Titus. So 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Right before Hebrews. 25 verses long. And yet it is an absolute jewel of a book. A deposit of God's wisdom and love for us in the scriptures. So I am excited to study it with you this morning. If you'll turn your attention to the screen... This is the best I can do in a a memory aid for us this morning. I think it outlines well the theme of the book of Philemon. Firstly, it's about relationships. Our relationship with Christ and what that means for us and our relationship with others. It's also about disputes and disputes being settled through reconciliation. Big word, big church word, but I'd like to just break it down in this sense, to be recounseled or to come back into fellowship with. So again, it's about our being re-counseled or brought back into the counsel of God through Christ and our being able to re with each other as we have issues that come up. And of course, it's about redemption. It's about the work of Christ and what he's done to redeem us. But again, it's also about the way that we can redeem each other by being and acting out the love of God in our family, our church family. And so that's where we're going to go this morning as we study the book of Philemon. That was your test. Now we'll do an exercise. So I want you to think with me. Because it's important as we study books like Philemon, any book, to be able to write ourselves into the narrative. To make the text meaningful, by understanding how it relates to us in our own lives, and our own stories. So let me begin by saying relationships are hard. You know that. But specifically, I want you to think about a time you've been wronged that helps you to close your eyes to do this. Feel free. I mean, really. Think about a time someone has wronged you. Maybe it was someone you were close to. Maybe it was someone you cared about. Maybe it was someone you didn't even really know, and you wondered, why? What had you done? Now I want you to think about a time when you have wronged someone. I'm sad to say, but I know it's true for myself that there are those in the world who would retell the story of their lives and my name would be mentioned at times. My name would be mentioned as a person who had who hurt them. I've wronged people. And now consider a time when maybe you've tried to help. Successfully or unsuccessfully, you've tried to stand In between two people who are in a dispute. And to be a force of reconciliation between them. That sets out an outline for the three main characters of the book of Philemon. It's a book about how our vertical redemption, this relationship between us and God, overflows and impacts the horizontal relationships that we're in. And this is important because Christianity isn't some weird esoteric religion where we separate ourselves from the world climb to the top of the hill, meditate, go to the prayer closet, and be done with it. No, God has us in the world, and he has us in the church. Messy people lifting up a great God. And so Philemon is all about how messy people can work out the love of God given to them in real relationships. Onesimus, the bondservant of Philemon, undergoes a providential salvation. Salvation that in part has to do with the ministerial work of the Apostle Paul. He in turn ministers to Paul in Rome. And it's because of his becoming a brother that full reconciliation is possible concerning this dispute between Philemon, the Lord of the house, and Onesimus. In Philemon, we see a gospel driven restoration, it's a powerful ethic of love. The kind of love that we just sang about. The kind of love that even if we were to try, we could no no sooner drain the ocean dry of it than we could exhaust the mercy of God. But this love isn't just a concept. It's cross-bearing forgiveness in action. And it's not just for Philemon and Onesimus. It's on display for all to see. Both the church and the world And now for us. So let's jump right in to a quick review of last week and your first point. Point number one, past participles. Doing the best that I can do to stick with a P theme here. Quick review. We begin and we end with Christ and his word. So last week, as we studied Colossians 1, 9 through 14, and what it means to walk worthy, and the ING statements that build upon each other, In walking worthy, we look to Christ and ended with forgiveness in that passage. Ryan left us last week, in fact, in both services, with 1 Corinthians 2 2, which I'd like to read briefly. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, but if not, just listen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I decided, says Paul, to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's where we left off. That was last week's Omega, and yet it is the alpha of this week. It's where we begin, it's where we always begin, and where we always end. Christ and him crucified. So let us now see what the book of Philemon has to do with Christ and him crucified, and how it has any relevance to our lives, being that it's only 25 verses long. Turn to the book of Philemon, with your permission. I'm going to read the entire book. Philemon verse 1 Paul a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy our brother to Philemon our beloved fellow worker and Athia, our sister and Archippus our fellow soldier and the church in your house grace to you and peace from God our father and the Lord Jesus Christ I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been ref- refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now and a prisoner also of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, who is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. How much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there we have it. The book of Philemon. Let me give us a bird's eye view of where the outline is going and then we'll jump right in. Point two. We're going to look at Philemon and its pretext. That is what comes before the text. What is the story? Philemon and its pretext. Verses 1 through 3. Secondly, this is point 3. We'll look at Paul's praise. Paul's praise. On the fourth point, we'll look at Paul's plea. This plea he makes to Philemon, but also to Onesimus and by implication to the church. This book is very much for us. Fifth point, Paul... As providential peacemaker. Paul as providential peacemaker. That's a mouthful, but I think it's right on. Sixth point. Paul as priest, not as the great high priest, but fulfilling a priestly office. And propitiation. Paul as priest and propitiation. And seventh point, Paul's prophetic call. Paul's prophetic call. So let's go back to point two. Philemon and its pretext. The who, what, where, and why of this little jewel. I was humbled this week because I honestly didn't know much about Philemon. And yet it was a joy to study because we enter into a narrative. Who is Philemon? Well, Philemon is most likely a relatively wealthy, land-owning, head of his household in Colossae. Colossae. Onesimus is one of his bondservants, an indentured servant, a paid servant capable of his freedom, maybe or maybe not desiring it, but one who certainly owed a lot of money to the company store, if you know what I mean. He was under the care of Philemon, and he fled, he fled his master. More than that, he most likely stole as well. He steals, he flees, and in true to form, when we flee confrontation, which I do far too often, he goes as far as possible, up to a thousand miles, all the way to Rome. And either by an incredible providential circumstance or guilt, knowing my own heart, I'm inclined to the latter, he seeks out Paul in Rome. Possibly having heard Paul mentioned by his own Master Philemon, from time to time, they had a relationship. He goes to Paul, he's converted, he comes to Christ, he's now a brother in Christ, and Paul tells him that it's time to go back, to not flee, but to confront his wrongs. So in the book of Colossians, which is actually sent to the city of Colossae at the same time as this letter to Philemon... In the book of Colossians, we have doctrine and theology. We have this Colossian error which is being addressed and the glory and preeminence of Christ in a doctrinal theological way. Now in Philemon, we have those same truths being addressed and expressed in a practical situation. It's practical theology. It's like biblical counseling. It's theology applied. I'd like to think, and Ryan was in the first service, so get away with a little more. Not really, Um, I'd like to think that in some ways Philemon is basically an explanation of everything that Paul is saying in Colossians. Fight error, strive for the glory of Christ, and let what Christ has done overflow in the body life of the church. For individuals, for the church, and importantly for the world. So this letter is sent with Tychicus, including Colossians, sent to a needy church in its personal it's addressed to Philemon, to these two other folks, Apphia and Archippus, but also the church in their house. And here's what I love about this. It's almost like it's being addressed to a community group. Now, it's a church in their house, but it's being addressed to a small group of people who are intimately involved with the situation. They've probably sat in the community group week in and week out and heard Philemon as he's asked for prayer, help me get over this bitterness that I have toward Onesimus, this person that I cared about who stabbed me in the back. They're involved with this and their involvement will prove to be important because they are also obligated to each other and to the parties involved to see this reconciliation happen. So as we read, I'd like you to just ask this question. How have you played the role of the three protagonists, the three main characters? How have you been a Philemon before in life? This is probably the easiest one for us to imagine. The one who was wronged. Yes, that's me and pretty much every conflict I'm in. Thank you very much. How have you been an Onesimus before? You know you've wronged someone. Oh yeah, it was a little bit their fault too. Whatever. But you know you wronged them. You don't want to go back. You don't want to deal with it. How, can't we just kind of brush it under the rug and we'll just smile when we see each other at church? Hey, hey, Bob, Dan. Yeah, coffee, good. All right, walk away. And how have you been a Paul? How have you been one who has attempted to reconcile, to bring parties together? How have you laid your relationships on the line to see the redemption of Christ worked out in his church? Let us remember that our God is a God of prodigals. Our God is a God who pursues those who flee, whether it's literally in physical fleeing or even in the pride of not wanting to deal with it because you're justified. He pursues us through his word this morning. And thanks be to God, he is faithful. So now let's look at Paul's praise. He opens this letter with admiration for Philemon, a beloved fellow worker. In fact, he really lays it on. Every commentator agrees that Paul is here using some impressive, persuasive mechanisms to set the stage for what he wants Philemon to do. He begins in verse 4 with thanks. Paul, this masterful persuader, wants Philemon to remember what he already is in Christ. Because what he already is in Christ is exactly what he is going to need to remember when Onesimus returns. Faith and love are mentioned twice. Paul mentions the faith of Philemon twice and his love twice. It's these very tools which we've been given in the power of the Holy Spirit that Philemon's going to need to put into action. Paul says that He's encouraged by the sharing of Philemon's faith, that he longs to be refreshed by him. He reminds Philemon of his usefulness, which is interesting, because Onesimus means useful, but the fled, fleeing, escaping Onesimus is absolutely useless. So here at the onset, Paul gives thanks and praise, reminding Philemon of his usefulness, and in his usefulness, his high call. What does it mean that, it's, that he's useful? it means nothing less than now serving the brothers around you, which is hard to do. And he appeals to these things for the sake of Christ. Paul points Philemon to the vertical basis of the Christian life. Again, vertically, all power, all hope, all potential for what God has in store for Philemon and Onesimus can only be done in Christ. Philemon must be reminded of what Christ has already done. And only then can he be effective, not only in the sharing of his faith, but in receiving the instruction that Paul has for him in the next section. So point four, Paul's plea. Verses eight through 14. I'm gonna break it down like this. Paul's plea to Philemon, to Onesimus, and to the church. But to summarize, let it just be known, disputes and discord cannot linger where love is. As Ryan has taught us on several occasions, the first commandment is that God would have no other gods beside him. That's not a quantitative appeal. There's big God and then five little ones over here and five little ones over there. A quantity. No, it is qualitative. There is only one God. And all others are false gods. They are idols. They are not worthy of being worshipped. In the same way, Paul's plea is summarized in this where God is and God's love abides the false idols of dispute and discord cannot be present Christians we cannot harbor anger bitterness and dispute so to Philemon Paul appeals as a mature believer I'd like to read Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 because I think Galatians is tied to some extent with Philemon in Galatians you have A serious dispute, some serious issues being dealt with. And both Galatians and Philemon have a similar ending found in a very small number of Paul's epistles. In fact, I believe the only other one is Philippians. The end of both letters is that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, lowercase. Basically, I'm asking you to do something hard and your lowercase spirit is going to need uppercase G grace to deal with it. So as Paul appeals to Philemon as a mature brother, he says this in Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, or to paraphrase, Philemon, if Onesimus is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Notice that the ethical obligation is on the mature believer. The should is for the mature Has someone been caught in a sin? You who are mature should restore them in gentleness. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is how Paul appeals to Philemon. He says that Philemon should not be commanded to do what is right in Christ, although Paul could command him in apostolic authority, but instead, for love's sake, For the sake of love, on the basis of love, Christ-centered love, Paul appeals to his brother. And this is redemption vertical worked out redemption horizontal. Paul says, Philemon, if you are saved, if you are mature, if everything I've seen in you is true, and I believe that it is, and your pride will fight against this, but I don't command you to do this. Instead, look to Christ and let that be the basis what Christ has done for how you treat this brother see the useless as now useful the one whose name was useful and yet not a christian fled and became useless and now in christ he has been given a new name and yet newness to the meaning of his old name he truly is useful now 2 corinthians 5:16 has some wonderful insight onto this passage, and so I'd like to read it. 2 Corinthians 5, and I will begin in verse 16. Paul says to the church in Corinth, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Excuse me. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Philemon, if Onesimus is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not will be, not could be, not might be, is. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. We've been reconciled to God so that we can now reconcile each other in Christ. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him who had no sin to be sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul's plea to Philemon is nothing less than a plea to believe that Onesimus, the traitor, the sinner, the guilty, is now the righteousness of God himself. Paul's plea to Onesimus is equally heartfelt. He refers to Onesimus as his son, not common in Pauline usage in the singular. Sons, perhaps, family language, yes, but son is reserved for special individuals. Probably think of Timothy in this case. Apparently Onesimus is to Paul something of a a new Timothy. Paul refers to Onesimus as his very heart. Again, the word heart here is not the normal word for heart, but a word that has connotations of deep intimacy and affection. Paul says to Philemon, I am sending you back my very heart. And he is useful. To Onesimus, Paul says, do the hard thing. So, notice the dispute. Philemon, do the hard thing, forgive. Onesimus, do the hard thing, go back. Onesimus, at this time, is in Rome. He's a thousand miles away. And more than that, he's free. Free from any obligations to the company store. Free from his master, from the lord of the house, Philemon. He's probably tasting a little bit of this freedom. And not just that, he's saved now. And not just saved, he's with Paul, the man, the man. And not just with Paul, he's ministering to Paul. Not just ministering to Paul, but Paul needs him. I mean, he's feeling pretty good. He's like, yeah, we had this dispute, but can't we just get over it? I'm a Christian now. New creation, so who cares? Can you imagine him walking a thousand miles back to Colossae? First of all, it's like leaving New York City to come to Albuquerque, so he's a little sad. All right? I love Albuquerque. Native. But you can imagine, he is walking a thousand miles, and the entire time he's thinking, I'm an idiot. I should have stayed with Paul. Everything was pretty good. Everything was pretty good in Rome. I had a decent amount of freedom. I was being fed. I was helping. And yet Paul says, do the hard thing. You have wronged a brother and you're a new creation now, not so that you can forget past wrongs, but so that you can deal with them by the power of the love of Jesus. And to the church, to the church, Paul's plea is simply this. Communal help because this is going to be hard work, love, because angers will flare up, and obligation, because you are a family, is implied. This point's important because in the first century, that was the context in which the church operated. They saw themselves perhaps more as a corporate body than as individuals. In our day and age, it's easier to understand ourselves as individuals who come to a thing. And then through the preaching of God's word and the power of the spirit we're were made one thing out of many parts. We tend to emphasize the many and not the one. In this day and age, the one would probably be emphasized over the many. Which made Onesimus' sin even more serious. But it's important for us to realize that this church, this message of Christ-filled reconciliation is for our church. That we might fight individualism. Not that it's wrong to be an individual. Not at all. And certainly we are accountable as individuals to God. But we must fight individualism and realize that we are a family. And when there is hurt, when there is pain, when there is dispute, when reconciliation is needed, we are obligated to each other. We don't have a lot in common. We may not listen to the same kind of music. We don't drive the same kind of cars. We live, we live in different parts of town. And yet we are obligated to each other because we have everything in common through Christ. So this is a plea to the church as well. Now point five, Paul as providential peacemaker. He now begins to lay out a series of arguments. His first, and it's a powerful argument, is Philemon. Trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust that God knows all things, that he is over all things, that in him you live and move and have your being. Because it was a miracle that Onesimus got saved. And this happened for a reason. Paul says, perhaps, perhaps this happened so that he might become—he might be sent back to you as more than a brother. Paul knows that forgiveness will be hard, but he offers hope. What should drive Philemon to forgive? What should drive Onesimus to walk a thousand miles by faith to a situation he cannot control? It's the hope of God's providence, God's sovereign hand, in his church, guiding, leading, loving, sanctifying his bride. Paul offers this providence as an explanation for the eternal meaning of Onesimus' flight. God reminds Philemon that God's power is made perfect in weakness. It's a 2 Corinthians 12 moment. There are thorns in the flesh of Philemon. I'm sure as soon, I mean, imagine seeing someone for the first time in a long time, who really hurt you. Doesn't it strike you as incredible how long it takes us to get over stuff sometimes? Ah, oh, yeah, and we grow up and we get more mature and so then we can hide it better. But yeah, right. It still takes us a long time. And here comes Onesimus down the road, you know, with a big cross painted on his chest so that Philemon knows that he's a brother now. And you can imagine Philemon thinking, these are thorns. i prayed Multiple times, God, rid me of these thorns in my flesh. And how does the Lord Jesus respond to Paul in 2 Corinthians? My grace is sufficient for you. In your situation, where you're at, what you're dealing with, your hardship, your trial, that all the other people around you can't understand, they try to offer sympathy, and oftentimes you walk away feeling like, I wish they hadn't even done that, because they don't get it. But his grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, as a peacemaker, asks Philemon that he would do more, even more. Because Onesimus is now more than he ever was before. He is in Christ, he is a believer, he is a son, he's the very heart of Paul. And this was radical. Okay, the, the penalty for runaway bond servants in the Roman Empire was severe. Oftentimes, oftentimes, it was the death penalty. There's a reason for that. It's not arbitrary. Almost the entire economic system of the Greco-Roman world at this time was run off of the backs of bondservants. And so to set an example to the rest of your household, one would be tempted to punish sin of this nature severely. And yet Paul doesn't just ask that Onesimus would be accepted. Get his job back. get him his job back. He needs a job. No. He says more. More than a job back. More than a bond servant. Much more. As a brother in Christ. Both in flesh and in the Lord. So lest we're tempted to think, oh yeah, okay, a brother, you can have his job back, but now he's a brother in Christ in the Lord, but in the flesh there's got to be some consequences. Because my pharisaical heart is always looking for the consequences eager you know, to bestow them upon whoever I've been wronged by with the wooden spoon of God's wrath. You know? I'm, I'm ready. But no, consequence, consequence is consummated in Christ, not in our little wooden spoons and paddles and tantrums. Paul calls upon Philemon to believe that there is a new situation at hand. Onesimus has been reconciled to God, as Philemon has as well. And if that is true, then they can be reconciled to each other. And not just to each other, but to the church and for the church, for the health and the joy of the church, so that the church can be a strong bride. And even then, for the world. Because the world doesn't operate like this. So the question for us, family, is this. Will you let a repentant Peter... One who has been your friend, said all the right things, been your right hand man or your right hand woman, and yet denied you three times. Will you let that repentant Peter back into your heart? Not just as what they were, but now even more. That's the challenge to us of Philemon. Sixth point Paul as priest and propitiation. Clarify only Christ is our high priest. And only Christ propitiates sin, that is, bears the wrath of God on our behalf. But now, as we live out the life of Christ in the church and in the world, we are a kingdom of priests and a kingdom of brothers and sisters who cover with love a multitude of sins. And so the themes of priesthood and propitiation are alive and well in the church, and we see that in Paul. Our peace is only bought by blood. In the literal sense, by Christ, his blood on the cross in the symbolic sense, through our blood, sweat, and tears, as we wrestle with God for each other and for relationships to be restored. Look at Colossians 1.20. We'll get here in a week or two. And through him, that is Christ, to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's the vertical, Let me retranslate this verse in a horizontal way. And through the church, God reconciles to himself all things that he has purchased on earth here as it is in heaven. And God makes peace in the church through the cross by the blood of the saints. We pour out our lives for each other. We are living sacrifices for each other. Just as Christ was for us. So Paul says, charge it to my account. He urges Philemon to charge Onesimus' sin to his account. And in this sense, he is an incarnational, that is the word made flesh, he is an incarnational instrument of Christ's propitiating work. Now to propitiate is to bear the wrath of, or appease, or atone for. Paul is basically saying to Philemon, if you have beef with Onesimus, charge it to me, who you have no beef with. You have no wrongs with. In fact, I've done more for you than you could ever hope to imagine. And that way we can see how Paul is being a Christian, a little Christ. He is fulfilling the work of Christ in his own suffering, as he puts his relationship with Onesimus, I'm sorry, with Philemon on the line. He lays down his life for his brother, both brothers, not just Onesimus, but for Philemon as well. And Paul also says that Philemon is to receive Onesimus as he would receive Paul. Now this is the first command in the letter, the first imperative. In this sense, Paul is a bold priestly mediator. He stands between Philemon, the just, and Onesimus, the sinner. And he offers his own body, his own relationship with both men as a living sacrifice. Because Paul has no idea how this is going to play out. Onesimus could get scared and run away and here comes Tychicus with this letter and Onesimus is gone. Paul walks by faith that his sacrifice on behalf of Onesimus will fulfill its purpose. Likewise, Philemon might see this guy walking down the road and not come out with the robe and the fattened calf and the ring but the club and the jail cell. Paul walks by faith that as a priest, as a living sacrifice on behalf of this relationship that his offering will be accepted just as Christ has been accepted before God the Father on our behalf. He intercedes. So the question for us, family, is as Paul emptied himself to reconcile another, will we do the same? I ask us to think about how we've been the Paul or the Onesimus or the Philemon. I think most of us have been the Philemon We can think of a few times when we've been the Onesimus. Far few times in my life have I been the Paul. Because this is the easiest position in which to step back and say, I better not get involved. Could be messy. Or, let me get involved. Learn the whole story, tell a few people, talk about it. You know, and two ways to do it wrong. Paul gets involved to lay himself down for people he loves. He understands Matthew 5.24 that there's a dispute with a brother. then leave your offering at the altar and go settle that dispute and then come and be reconciled to God. Of course, in Christ, there's been a reversal. We are already reconciled to God. We are new creations. And now, because of the power that we have through the Holy Spirit, we can live that out in real human relationships, messy as they are. Seventh point, Paul's prophetic call verses 21 through 25. We see this word more mentioned again. Paul is just going above and beyond. Some would say it's, you know, rhetorical flourish, it's stylistic, but it, I think honestly that Paul is trying to express to Philemon that what Christ has done for you is so inexhaustible, so incomprehensible, so infinite that there's nothing wrong with me asking you to do even more. It seems unwise in worldly wisdom. And yet here Paul asks for more again, even more of the gospel lived out in the community of Christ. So Paul is confident, verse 21, confident of your obedience. Not knowing how things will happen, by faith, he is confident that Philemon will do even more. And what is he asking Philemon to do? Nothing less than show radical love in the face of true sin. So don't don't miss this. There has been real sin against Philemon. He really is justified in a human sense. He really can say, That guy did something really bad to me. And Paul is saying, The sin is true, but believe, believe that his identity in Christ is truer. If it's now and not yet, he's emphasizing the nowness of the not yet. He's saying, Believe now that the truest identity of Onesimus is not the sinner who's wronged you, but the saint. Saved by the same God that you've been saved by. We see the virtue of Christian charity, Christian love, lived out in Philemon. It's important to talk about love just for a minute because we throw the word around so casually and carelessly. In our day and age, it has an incredible range of meaning to the point that it's almost become meaningless. And as Christians, we must understand that Christian love, Christian charity, as we see in Philemon, is so much more than feelings. Now, don't get me wrong. Feelings are a part of that love. But it begins with covenant allegiance. So here's three words to remember what love means. Allegiance, action, affection. It is a covenant allegiance because... The initiator of the covenant, God himself, who put Abraham to sleep and walked through the animals as the fire pot, made the covenant of grace based on his own name, swore by himself, saves us in Christ. It is not of our works. It is what God has done for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. God has made covenant with the unlovely and made them lovely. But it's also action. Because of what God has done, we are called to action. Not just to feel this way about you or feel this way about them, but to act upon the allegiance that we believe, knowing what God has done. And of course, that could do nothing but well up the deepest affections, the deepest affections for each other. in church, family, as we continue to walk through trials together, some that that weren't brought on by us, others that were, as we continue to walk through those trials, I am confident with Paul that God will do in us what he did in the church in Colossae and well up for us, deep affections for each other those who hardly have anything in common, who look odd to the world, a peculiar people who comes into a weird, dimly lit room with light blue, purple things and Sunday mornings and we, we hang out. Some guy sings and then we, the guy talks and then we leave. It's very odd, okay? Most of your friends who don't love Jesus and my friends look at this and go, it's weird. Should we be sleeping in and getting ready for football? Few of us have thought that from time to time as well. But the bottom line is that God is doing something in our gathering. We're not just hearing something, we are hearing a a pronouncement, a declaration. It is put upon us, but He is doing something as we gather. As we look around and see people who, like us, believe that this isn't just the glee club, this isn't a place where people come and put on funny hats and have secret meetings. This is where broken, hurting, needy people, erring children, remember that they have been reconciled to Christ and God. And now we can be reconciled to each other. This is how the body lives. And make no mistake, it was a powerful witness, a defense of the faith to Rome, to the Roman Empire. And it was offensive to Rome. Because in writing this letter, Paul says, a new thing has happened among Christians. The old order has to pass away. This this idea of subordination, even the idea of bondservanthood itself must eventually pass away. Because if there are brothers in Christ, it's not as a bondservant, it's not with your old job back, it's even more. It's as a brother in flesh and in the Lord. The church was hated by the Roman oligarchy for many reasons. But one of the central reasons that the political powers that be disdained the church was simply this, the church refused to bow the knee to Caesar, the god emperor. They refused to worship Caesar. The church committed a capital crime in the Roman Empire. They committed treason. And I want you to see that the church's willingness to die for the vertical redemption is just as scandalous as it's worked out horizontally. Because this is an offense to Rome for Paul to write a letter like this. Greeks demand and seek wisdom. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It doesn't make any sense economically to have this kind of reconciliation and restoration and redemption and defying of all social classes, defying of all social institutions, oneness in Christ. It just doesn't make any sense to defy these status distinctions. And yet that's exactly what the love of Christ does transcends every boundary so that if we are in Christ we are truly one body and one spirit and in that one spirit Paul leaves this letter the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit again lowercase s I think Paul knows that this is going to be difficult for all the parties involved I think he knows that the spirit of Philemon is going to need the grace of Christ to love and accept this brother back into the fullness of family as even more than a servant. I think Paul knows that Onesimus is going to need the grace of Christ with every step from Rome to Colossae. And yet, we see the love of God worked out. A principle. A principle is enunciated in this text that in the end must prove fatal to sin's slavery a principle that re reconciles, brings together in fellowship and recreates in love a new humanity. It's called the church. Romans 5 is helpful in this regard. Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, Philemon and Onesimus, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, same language, Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. It's because of the death of Christ that it's possible, but it's because of the life of Christ through his word and his spirit in the church that it happens. So, family, how do we live? Are we seeking reconciliation where we've wronged, been wronged? I know, and I confess to you that I don't do that near as often as I should. Are we seeking deep, scandalous, Christian love-type restoration, even when the world looks at it and goes, that's too risky? That kind of love, that's a, that's a statement against the false gods of power and control and systems. So in conclusion, as we find our true identity in Christ, let us be loved. Let us love others. Let us be made brothers and sisters out of sinners and escapees. Let us be loved for each other. Let us forgive each other deeply. Let us be redeemed and reconciled as a resurrection community for the glory of Christ as we sang this morning the mercy of god dissolves us by his goodness causing us to fall to the ground but yet he asks us to stand as new creatures which with a new name and to write his love to imagine that the ocean were ink and to drain it daily in the church, in our families, among our friends, to drain the ocean dry as we write his love, the love that reconciles, redeems, and restores for the glory of Christ.